0: Hi, this is Dave Andervine. This is the Kick Aspirational podcast. And uh, today we have a really special guest, Aubrey Marcus. I got to know Aubrey through a relationship that I have with Tim Staples at ShareAbility. ShareAbility is an amazing company that uh, has some of the best viral videos. Um, I think over 25 or 26 on YouTube's front page. But they're really great at creating human connection, and conversion through those videos. And I've been working with Tim a little bit. He connected me with Aubrey. I've been listening to his podcast. I've been buying Onnit Nutrition, Alpha Brain, via my friend Pete Holmes' podcast for years and didn't really connect Aubrey and Onnit and all of this is kind of funny. But um, got to meet him, uh, have been talking to him a little bit, and really impressed with the human journey he's on and the human optimization that he builds his life around. So we did this podcast. We did it on Zoom. I'm at home in my my living room, basically, (laughs) and um, my first time using Zoom – I really, really screwed up. I uh, I hit record, but didn't do it properly twice so that it was actually recording. So we had this great first 10 minutes that you're not going to hear um, where he talked about things he's doing um, to get through the day with the COVID virus. Um, he doesn't have the COVID virus, but just with all the quarantining and isolation we're going through right now. And uh, it was fantastic. We did pick it up later, and I think we revisited some of that. Um, but what I wanted him to really kind of bring to this audience, to our audience together and kick aspirational is how he broke through barriers in his own life, um, physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually, and, and in, as an entrepreneur. Uh, he created a business on it that's $70 million a year, built it from scratch without raising a lot of money, um, and has been very, very successful. And now he's on an extended journey. He just stepped down as CEO. has a new CEO uh, that stepped up and uh, he's got some great things going on. So I wanted to bring you uh, Aubrey Marcus. You will see his video. We pick up mid-conversation. We kind of come back to <laughs> where we started. And, uh, but I think it's, it's one of the better podcasts we've done in terms of depth of content. I strongly recommend that you listen to his podcast, the Aubrey Marcus Podcast, buy his book, um, Own the Day. It's an amazing way to help people just get control of right now, this minute, this moment this hour, this day, and start making transformation happen in your life. And uh, he's got some great tips, some great uh, life hacks, and I think a lot of great information that I hope people really enjoy. So thank you for coming on this journey. Sorry for screwing up. It's part of the journey for me. Uh, We'll get better at Zoom recordings as we go. But I hope you enjoy this. And uh, in the links we'll have, uh, uh, in the information we'll have links so you can find out more information about how to follow Aubrey Marcus if you appreciate this podcast. Thanks a ton
1: a big like stack on a, on a paper towel because she wasn't making these supplements herself. And then there was also the test day stack of supplements. So if I had my SAT test or if I had some big test I had to do, there was a whole different paper towel. Once again, I didn't ask any questions, but I understood that my brain was firing at a different level when I would take these supplements. So um, that was kind of my first awareness that there was things that I could do to modulate performance. Uh, But by the time I got older and was on my own, you know, I'm out of the house. My stepmom's not there to prepare paper towels for me. She would fill my cabinet, but I just, it was overwhelming. I was like, I didn't want to pull out the nine different things that I needed just for my brain. I didn't want to pull out the 10 things I needed to perform well on the basketball court. I was like, why not just create a combination supplement that had all of these things? So instead of having to pull out nine different bottles and make sure that the ratios were in the right, proportions and all of the things you had to do you just had one great supplement for the brain one great supplement for athletic stamina and you know those eventually became two of our first formulas which was alpha brain and shrimp tech sport which then have been clinically validated and and shown to do um absolutely what they were intended to do
0: i um just realized that i had hit record but it wasn't recording so now we are recording um uh, i apologize for that um so we, <laughs> all
1: right, <laughs> this is, this is part so of the joy of
0: COVID-19 easy new tech. Um, so the, uh, so we, we talked a little, lot about how you're working through, uh, dealing with, um, the fear, the economic change and the, um, health issues of COVID-19. And, um, maybe we could revisit those quickly and how you've gone to a ketosis diet, which led us to talking about a lot of the products that you're using, which come from on it, which then I asked. So how did how did you start on it? Which is really where we started recording now. Um, <laughs> sorry about this this Aubrey. Uh, No
1: problem. No problem.
0: The uh, you know I first heard about on it from I was listening to Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes is a friend of mine, In his podcast he was using Alpha Brain the comedian, and uh, I started ordering it like literally four years ago, and never put together on it with Alpha Brain just because Alpha Brain was like the lead product I think you had. Um, And it really worked. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic product to help focus without getting jittery. Um, and that led you, I mean, that was, so you, like you're saying, I mean, it was alpha brain and trim tech that really started on it. How, how big did those become? How fast, like what was the process of your mother-in-law was creating these products for Nick, Pat Riley and the Lakers and, and other teams he had, you started using them. You get these two core products that I think were the foundation of the business. Um, how did you, like, I I think a lot of people are saying, okay, so then, you know, you had this idea, you had the products that your mother-in-law was making. Those are pretty, pretty good starting positions. Well, she wasn't making
1: them. She was just sourcing them from individual ingredient supplements. You know, I mean, these are, this is back in the 80s and 90s, right? So she's doing her own research, understanding the you know, the, the fundamental physiology of the human body and the human brain, and then just picking out different ingredients and then compiling them together on that paper towel, the legendary paper towel that I would take. (laughs) So, um, so, and, you know, of course, alpha brain doesn't follow the same ingredients on that paper towel, science advances. That's just one of the things about science and uh, really the, the foundation of this, you know, what really made this all come together was a conversation I had with my business partner, Joe Rogan. And I went to uh, I went to Joe and we became friends and we'd done a couple podcasts together and I said Hey, man, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in making supplements and and at that time I was actually, you know Playing around with making hangover supplements and different things. I was partying a lot. So hangover supplements made sense to me um, How you know old I said you? I was 30. Okay, so uh I said, you know, hey, Joe, like, what would you like to take more than anything else? And he was like, I'd like to have a nootropic a cognitive enhancer. And I was like, all right, man, I have a little experience, you know, tinkering with that. Let me go do the research. Let me talk to all the doctors that I know. And I'm going to come up with a formula. And I think we can make the best one that's ever been made. And he was like, he just gave me a smile. And he's like, all right, man, and so I did it. you know, I just spent you know a couple months pouring through the PubMed research and talking to all the doctors, and of course, talking to my stepmom and talking to everybody who I could who understood this, and then taking us a small sample um, of about like a couple hundred pills, and uh, which was very, you know smart of them first of all because it ended up being a good business decision but also kind of them because most people have huge minimum order quantities uh, if you're a GMP manufacturing facility so they took a chance on this unknown company um, and made us the samples and I remember those first samples we had I wanted to make sure that you could feel it you know because that's I really wanted to make sure like you knew when you took it and I made that thing so strong that you know it was like it was like a rocket ship and like you know, some of the people, you know, some of the people, one of the, so the mechanism of action is yeah. to put a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine. Okay. And it's very similar to nicotine. And for anybody who's had too much nicotine, you'll understand the effects of having too much nicotine. You feel a little green for a little while. Like, oh, Wow. So the first formula I had was riding that line of just right for someone like Rogan or myself, but probably a little too much (laughs) for the rest of the world. Uh, But the good thing was we knew that we knew that we had something. We knew that we could use natural ingredients uh, like Huperzia serrata, which is a club moss and like a lot of these other different herbs and ingredients to kind of build a well-rounded formula for the brain and that it could work. And so we just kind of tinkered with the levels, backed everything down to an appropriate amount And um, when we launched, it was um, basically I had no money in the company because I had a couple small investors, one of one of which was my friend, Bodie Miller, who was an Olympic skier. And another was another friend that I met uh, on the investment banking circuit when I was out doing some work for uh, investor relations and preparing like pitch decks for different companies. And um, he he trusted me. So I raised like 100 grand, kind of blew through that tinkering around with my hangover supplements and making some questionable choices. So I was out of money. And the, that same contract manufacturer um, gave us net 30 terms, which meant that they would deliver us 100,000 pills uh, in bottles that would we didn't have to pay for for 30 days. Oh, wow. So basically, um, he gave me the product and I had to sell it in order to pay him back. Otherwise, you'd have to declare bankruptcy. <laughs> but we sold through that first hundred thousand pills the first day. And then I had a second order on and I was, so I was able to pay him and then I placed the second order immediately and doubled it up two hundred thousand pills. And it was like, we sold through that. And like, as soon as we got that a week later, we sold through that in like two days. And then it was 500,000 pills sold through that in a week. So we had these rolling blackouts wow. of, of sales. And a lot of that is because of the, the Joe Rogan effect. You know, he had a massive podcast even then. Right. And, um, and, you know, he was just talking about it. And then uh, after we started selling AlphaBrain, which is really an idea that was birthed between that conversation between me and Joe, um, we were talking, he hit me up and he's like, yeah, we should really be partners in this thing, huh? And I was like, yeah, we should. Like, you deserve <laughs> it. You deserve it. And uh, I'd love to be partners with you. So then we, you know, negotiated what percentage of the company he would own. And um, from there, it's history. We just started duplicating that same idea of putting the best ingredients together into a single formula so we had brain we had mood we had sport you know and then we just kept going one by one immune you know which is obviously something that people are really keen on right now with everything going on in the covid uh, universe that we're living in but you know a lot of these formulas started coming out with that same uh, idea and then um, from there we branched out into you know proteins and different protein bars and foods and then from there into into fitness unconventional fitness because obviously with my and Joe's connection into the MMA world and my connection with Bodhi like I understood what the top elite athletes were doing and they weren't going to the gym and using Cybex equipment you know they were really working their body in really functional movement patterns and using kettlebells and using different tools ropes and bags and um and so we wanted to be the leader in that as well. And uh, you know, I think we've established ourselves as both you know, one of the leaders in nutritional supplements as well as leaders in functional fitness, which has been, uh, been cool, which gave us kind of the full umbrella. This is the kind of the full story, the full umbrella of what we call total human optimization.
0: So, and let's get into total human optimization. But first, I want to, how did you know Bodie Miller, Joe Rogan? How did those relationships happen?
1: So Bodie Miller, and I met in Vegas through a mutual friend, and we just were partying together. But the interesting thing about Bodie, I always say he was my first true friend, because there was never anybody I met who really could look at the world the same way. And there's an interesting characteristic that I have that Bodie also has, that no matter how much we intoxicate ourselves, our thinking is still razor, razor sharp, and our awareness is still really clear. Like it's a very odd, it's a very odd characteristic. But anyways, everybody else around us is just smashed. We had, you know, a table with bottles, and it was at a nightclub, and I think it was at the Mirage Hotel. And I remember walking out of there, and everybody's kind of stumbling around and being idiots, and me and Bodhi are just kind of cruising, and we're just noticing everything, and we just keep looking at each other, like, like you're not, you're not you know, out of it. And I'm like, Nope, I'm not out of it. And he's like, interesting, you know, and it was just this kind of, uh, this kind of awareness that, um, that there was some kind of affinity between us. And, uh, so we just became friends and kept in touch. And, um, I'm actually going to be releasing a podcast with Bodie Miller coming up that tells kind of the full story, but it was just, uh, just an amazing friendship that we had. And, um, you know, he taught me so much and we had so much fun together um, just challenging each other for all the sports that, you know, he a great athlete across the board. So playing tennis and basketball and then partying, of course, it's Bodhi, you know. I mean, he loved sure. the party. But uh, but doing all the different things and then talking about all the different supplements and all the different, you know, teachings that he'd learned and um, you know, just having great conversations. So that's how that relationship started. And with Joe, it was the same thing. You know, we I talked about a podcast advertising deal. I was gonna be I had a company that was going to be the first advertiser on his podcast. And I said, Hey man, let's just meet for coffee to talk about it. He's like, okay. And, um, you know, he'd only done like 30 podcasts at that point. So it was really, really early in the days. And, um, we met for coffee and it was supposed to be 30 minutes and it ended up being four and a half hours of just talking about, uh, psychedelics and aliens and all the things that we were into. And, uh, and we became friends.
0: That's amazing. And Joe was, so Joe was the same. I mean, how how did you meet Joe?
1: Yeah, just setting up that, setting up that coffee meeting. And then um, from there, which was business related, he didn't know who I was. And then after that, like, we just realized that, oh, wow, this is a friendship. And then uh, he invited me to come on his podcast. I did two podcasts as friends and we hung out and shot arrows and, you know, played pool and, uh, and did the things that that Joe and I both mutually like to do. And, um, and then eventually uh, I just asked him that question, you know, like what wow. supplement would you like the most?
0: What, um, what were you doing for work at that time? Were you, did you, were you training or doing uh, what, was, what was your, no, I had a,
1: uh, I had a, like a boutique marketing company working with a lot of different, a lot of different companies from, uh, you know, a gold mining company called Bullion River Gold to a pharmaceutical company called Virex Medical Corp to a sex toy company called Fleshlight to, I mean it was across it was across the board I was uh I was kind of doing a lot of things everybody loves the Fleshlight story because uh is that's the most interesting out of all those things more interesting than gold or pharmaceuticals so <laughs> well, what uh, was Fleshlight so the Fleshlight is a male sex toy which is uh an orifice concealed in a plastic flashlight container <laughs> So, yeah, that was the easiest product I've ever had to sell. I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's, you know, I've, I've, uh, in Japan, the, uh, what's it called? The um, There's one of, there's a male sex toy that's really popular right now that you just see for sale everywhere. T- uh, t- uh, what's it called? T- tens or t- t-
1: Tengen or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: Tengen. Yeah, something like that. Anyways, amazingly popular. The Japanese have a propensity for those. Um, it's, uh, I think they invented the. The love doll. But um so you so you started on it, you obviously you had some great relationships to help promote it, you had a killer product that um you had some background in to to create a partnership to help you um, you know, source it and get it up and running and, and help you with the manufacturing so you don't have to raise as much money. What were some of the big hurdles that you hit as I mean, it's it's fun to launch something where you have great growth. Um what were some of the hurdles that you hit as you're you know, in the development of this, as you're, you're running, you have you've got a manufacturing partner who can help you with sourcing. You're selling out, selling out, selling out. You've got some popular, um, you know, some celebrity friends who are helping you promote it What were some of the hurdles that you hit.
1: The only hurdle that we didn't hit was demand. Yeah. I mean, everything else, everything else we hit, you know, everything right. that you would find from scaling. I mean, if, at first when Al- alpha brain launched, I didn't know how it was going to do. So I wasn't able to staff up. First of all, I didn't have any money. So all of a sudden we sell out of, uh, you know, a hundred thousand pills in a day, you know, which there were 30 count bottles at that point. So you're talking like 3000 bottles. So we had to get like 3000 bought, 3000 orders out. Some people got two, so maybe let's say 2,500 orders out. And all of a sudden I'm just talking to all my unemployed or relatively unemployed friends. And I'm like, help <laughs> you know like we have a lot of orders to fill so i remember i had a tiny office that was probably you know 200 square feet and um and we were just packing up different usps you know envelopes with alpha brain and hand writings, handwriting the packing slips <laughs> at that point you know and just filling up trash bags and then having usps come by or dropping them off usps and shipping them out and wow. that was like the first day was just, we had to do everything manual. And then I was like, all right, we got to get this automated. We got to get the automated packing slips. We got to integrate everything, you know, through the website, through, you know, through the, through the shipping um, portal and, and all of that. And so we got that done by the next time. So it was no more handwriting, but it was still like every issue was scaling. And, and of course, at that point, you're not hiring the greatest experts, you know, cause I didn't raise a bunch of money. Everything is coming off cash flow, So it was just like, everybody I knew from my marketing contacts, it's just like, okay, can you help? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help with design? Can you help with, with this? Can you help with printing? Can you help with, you know, legal and compliance? Can you help with all of these different things and um, constantly just pulling that together. So really it was a matter of keeping up with demand for the first few years and just trying to scale, um, you know, with the expertise that was available.
0: And um, I mean, you've, you've grown this, but do, do you, publicly say how big the company is today
1: yeah it was published in uh it was published in men's health recently so it's it's out there so um we're doing 70 million a year
0: 70 million a year from starting out of your garage effectively with some friends high profile friends but you know still it's that's a lot of people who blow through a bunch of money and aren't successful with high profile friends um and then recently you uh and how how many products do you have today by the way
1: it you know it really depends on what you count. Do you count every different uh, weight of kettlebell? Do you count every <laughs> different size of rope? Do you count every um, different piece of apparel? You know, it, it, you could count it as hundreds. Or you could count it as forty. You right. know, depending on uh, depending on which way you want to count it.
0: And you're primarily um, but, yeah, in nutrition apparel and and workout uh, tools and supplements and foods. yep. And the um, so you've you've grown from a couple products out of your garage to a whole program that's really a kind of a lifestyle that follows your lifestyle, I would say largely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people follow your podcast now, which is, you know, very popular downloads over a million a month, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what, as, as you're going through that, you're, you're finding all this success, you're growing your 70 million a year, you've got all these products, you've got this whole world you've created effectively. Um, and, and you're doing all these other things. I mean, you're, you're creating your own podcast, you're doing your own seminars, you're writing your own books. Um, what was it that caused you recently? You just had a great interview with, with Jason, your new CEO, Jason Harvey. What was, the, what was the impetus that led you to say, you know, I've been the CEO, I've run this thing, I've created this world. It kind of revolves around you. What led you to say, it's time for me to step back and have Jason step up?
1: Well, it was really the uh, the understanding that I'd given the majority of my gift to on it as the CEO, and the, the remaining gifts that I had to give didn't require me to be the CEO anymore. You know, so it was it was really just understanding that I had given everything that I could to get on it to where it was, and I didn't need to continue giving those same things because we had such a talented team that was available to fulfill so many of the roles of CEO where, where I still needed to be active was as the representative of the brand. I mean, I am the walking, living, breathing example of what on it is. And I'm going to continue to be that because it's a part of me. I mean, it's the company I built to support, you know, the, the most important aspect of who we are, which is the foundation, our body. And so I'm going to continue to be on it for the rest of my life and continue to represent that and share those ideas and, like I am right now, even though I'm not CEO, I'm talking about on it, and I'll continue to talk about on it. Right. Uh, it's an indel- you know, inexorable part of my of my story. Um, and then there's other specific meetings that I'll be involved in, like product development meetings. I'm still going to stay on and stay a part of that, just because of my knowledge base, my understanding of the market, and uh, my exploration personally into what is whatever is new and whatever is kind of cutting edge. And then continuing on as chairman of the company. So I can just kind of keep some guardrails and make sure that uh everything is performing in the way it should. But that felt like just the right move and the right transition because with everything else that I'm passionate about right now, I wasn't looking over people's shoulders. I wasn't, you know, checking all of the, you know, the ads and the ad words and looking at all of the spending and, you know, kind of going through line by line in the PNL. And that's what a CEO should do. You know, a CEO should be checking under every different rug because any rug you don't check under, you're going to find, you know, cockroaches and spiders and cobwebs. And, um, you know, that just wasn't what I was called to do. I'm called to write more books and, you know, get out there and meet more interesting people and, um, and just share the message.
0: So it's more about getting out in front of this, leading it, pioneering, being the ambassador of the brand and um, less about, being in the day-to-day operations, and that was the big, big transition for you. Right. What, um, you know, when, when you and Eric Godsey were did this, the the uh, Seth Godin podcast, which, by the way, I thought was brilliant. Um, one, it sounds like the recording was less than optimal, so you kind of broke it down. It, it was, was that what caused you to decide to break it down?
1: It was, yeah. I mean, Seth's audio was really good, but my audio wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, so... That's uh, I usually don't do podcasts remote, but Seth was't I really wanted to talk to Seth, and he was yeah. insistent on doing it remote, so it's one of maybe two or three podcasts I've ever done in my life on my own podcast that that's remote um, but uh so I went for it, but obviously there are some technical difficulties because I don't have a lot of experience in that and uh so what we decided to do was take his audio because he speaks in like really concise and beautiful kind of flows that are like two minute, three minute flows exploring an idea. Um, So we just decided to piece all of those together. And then I would redo my own dialogue with the help of uh, my right hand man, Eric, and, uh, and just talk about how um, our own thoughts on that and expand upon any of the ideas that he shared.
0: I was, I was listening to it. And then I had uh, Gabe Sullivan, curious Gabe from Surfer magazine, who's my right hand man. He is listening to it yesterday as well. And we were talking about it. And I thought we, we, we both said, you know, the, the way that you broke that down, I think it was way better. Um, Seth Godin, you know, he's, he speaks like a writer, right? He has these really, like you said, these cogent, dense thoughts, that if you listen to 20 minutes of it, it's like listening to four hours of somebody else talk. It's so right. tight, right? Yeah. And I thought the way you guys broke it down and then, and then kind of deconstructed it was really, really helpful. Um, one of the things you guys talked about was this idea of the difference between being an entrepreneur or a freelancer. And it kind of sounds like from your experience, I mean, your heart, your soul is more freelance or like actually creating work with your hands. But part of the work has been being an entrepreneur and creating a big company on it through the typical entrepreneurship journey of raising money, having a plan, hiring people, having people that do the work for you. Has this shift in your life, am I getting that right? Has this shift kind of pushed you kind of in the direction of more of a freelancer again where you can kind of be a pioneer and, and do these well you know
1: i think i built i built on it i always wanted to be an entrepreneur you know i mean that was definitely the goal is to build a build a company that was bigger than bigger than me and on it is that on it is the company that was bigger than me that i could lead and that was the goal but at a certain point of building something that's that big you realize like huh is this what I still want? You know, it's like, yeah. is it, do I still want something of this size? You know, we had a, we had 190 employees. If you counted all of our yoga instructors and all of our, you know, um, gym coaches and everybody all in combination, our warehouse people, our customer service, you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge amount of people to manage. And, um and really the excitement for me is in the creation and development of things and whether that's, Um, a book, a podcast, a product, an idea, that's what really is is actually the most fun. You know, kind of managing is not the most fun. And and I think, you know, you can listen to someone like Jordan Peterson talk about that, how a lot of, you know, founders are incredibly creative, out-of-the-box thinkers, and then at a certain point, you want someone who's more conservative and more kind of going to be into the granular details when you get something to a certain point. Uh, So for me, I think that was the journey that I went on with on it was to be able to be the leader and be the heart of this kind of organism that was bigger than myself. And then for now, um, definitely called to just share my ideas and make my products, you know, directly related to something that I'm creating, whether that's a piece of content or a book or, you know, just a simple idea that I'll share on social media.
0: How does that tie into this? I think you have a new book out called Indepreneur. Does that tie into this whole idea of of what it means to be an Indepreneur?
1: So Indepreneur is kind of my own idea of, you know, Seth calls it freelancer, but that's kind of a, it's kind of like an unsexy name. It just sounds like someone who's going to come fix your sink. Uh, And then there's like, there's no like real word to describe, like somebody who's using their own personal brand to offer their, gift and service to the world and get monetized for it so entrepreneur is all sexy and cool you know everybody loves you know loves an entrepreneur but if you say oh, i'm a freelancer everybody's like oh you're probably out of work you know so uh so i wanted to kind of come up with a term that people could really galvanize and get behind so uh, i called it indepreneur, like an independent entrepreneur and that's someone who's just offering their own skills and services to the world and it's not a book yet um, right now it's just a, a free podcast and a, a pdf and and maybe eventually it'll be a full course um, but you know it's uh it's just something especially now within the times we're in when people are facing you know economic uncertainty it's good to understand the basic principles of how to utilize your own platform and brand um, to monetize and uh, and share your gift
0: yeah I mean I think it's I mean, Jim Collins talks about this he says you know you need to figure out what your passions are, what you can be best in the world at, or what you can be comparatively better at, and then how to make money, where those three things intersect is probably where people should focus their time, right? Um, When you think about some of that, I mean, one of the things you, I think Seth talked about, and and you and Eric talked about was, you you know, all you need is 20 clients, or I think you guys said really all you need is a thousand true fans. Is that part of the, this concept that, um, and, and how do people find those those true clients? I mean, with, I think with a freelancer, Seth saying, well, you can't add more clients, so you got to get better ones. But what's mm-hmm. the, how's the true fans concept all about? Or how do those two things intersect?
1: Well, I mean, it depends on what you're really offering, right? I mean, it's um, the idea, I think people look at mass numbers, right? And we'll get distracted by the numbers that you have. And those numbers can be meaningful, or they can be meaningless, you know, and, and it's, it just really depends. Like, Let's give an example of one of the influencers that we've had for Onnit. So for Onnit, Ludacris, the, the rapper, is a huge fan of Onnit products, and we don't pay him anything, but he'll post um, some really generous and, and beautiful things about Onnit. And when he first posted something about Onnit with his millions of fans and followers, we rushed to our, you know, to our screens to check the sales. Crickets, you know, nothing much <laughs> happened. Right, despite his millions of people that he was reaching, and it's because they didn't trust his advice on supplements at all. Right. They just, just, they made the assumption that oh, I'm sure he just got paid for that, you know, and whatever. This is an ad, um, but you take somebody else who has a smaller fan base, but that they really trust what their opinion is on something like supplementation. They make a post, and you'll see a dramatic effect. So really it's this idea, it's not quantity, it's quality. You know, it's how many people that you can really reach. And so instead of worrying about how many you know, followers do I have or how many people are on my newsletter list, worry about how you can escalate that group that you have into really being a passionate fan or a passionate follower. And to monetize that amount when they're passionate, you don't need that many <laughs> Maybe. 20 clients or maybe a thousand fans if you're selling like a cheaper product so that's really the idea is that worry about as much about escalation as proliferation
0: right now i think um you see this in podcasting a lot right now i think where um you know there's a whether it's you or joe rogan or science mike or you know, there's a pete holmes i mean there are people who do better than others where i think the podcast is almost like a um it's almost like going to church for a lot of people these days. You know, there's, there's a deep connection. There's a lot of trust. There's people who are going on that journey with you and they're looking for advice and they're taking that advice and they're actually applying it to their life. Yeah. Um, you get most of the benefit Is are, I mean, it feels like, you know, between you and Joe and, and some of the uh, famous friends you have, you guys have been able to build your business, you know, by I think giving a lot of free value to people, offering suggestions and then productizing it in ways that they can participate so it's not as complicated i mean one is that a fair is, is that a yeah fair? that's it
1: i mean and, and that's also the impetus for own the day yeah. you know own the day makes a couple of references to on a products in the entire book i mean it's one hundred and twenty thousand words and we probably mention on it you know five or six times throughout there and right because it's unavoidable to mention on it at those points because if i'm going to be talking about what i'm doing it's just a part of what i'm doing uh, but we intentionally just made this about information and how to access all of the free you know nutritional benefits that are available in food and, and, in, and so, well food isn 't always free, but at least like sunlight and water yeah. and movement and you know sex and sleep and all of these other things that you can get without having to buy anything at all and I think that 's right. a big part of it is just helping people so that they can be a part of this idea to be a little bit better tomorrow than today without ever having to buy anything.
0: Well, and in, I think, in, in, um, you know, in, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's it. No, but I think, you know, when, when, when you talk about um, own the day, which is a phenomenal book, a strong recommend, um, you know, you break it down into really digestible chapters it's you've got great suggestions at the end of each chapter for how people can take advantage of it, pro tips and, and, and ways to own it. But I thought the intro was really, really strong where you're referencing Peter Thiel's, um, you know, zero to one that, that getting, getting started, um, overcoming the resistance. Uh, and I know you've, you've, uh, spent a lot of time in the past talking about Stephen Pressfield's war of art, um, which is about doing the work. Right. And, and, um, breaking through the, all the reasons why people don't get started. Um, maybe walk us through, if you don't mind, and, and I, I won't um, pick apart your book. I, want, I really want people to read it, but, but help us understand, you know, so many people want to do something and don't, they think they have to be perfect. Um, I have a saying, don't worry, be crappy. Just, just get something out. What are some of your, what's the impetus? I mean, what's the theory behind own the day and how do you view getting past that resistance, you know, getting that momentum started?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, resistance is that ever-present force that's going to be there every time we try to stretch and expand and grow and uh, and move beyond where we currently are. It's just one of those ubiquitous forces that are there. And it's really an ally for us because it's that force that allows us to build the courage and build that resiliency and build that kind of, dedication and inertia and momentum um, that's going to drive us forward. So you first have to reframe reframe that understanding of resistance and be like, oh, first call it out for what it is. Like, oh, resistance. Right. right. So one of my best examples is the cold shower, right? Because you right. you're in a nice, toasty, warm shower and everything feels good. And you just read my book and you know the benefits of a cold shower, you know, benefits to cortisol, benefits to you know, a variety of different systems in the body and just that you're going to feel better if you do it. But you'll look at that handle and be like, eh, not today, you know, know, and it's really easy to do that. But then you start to train yourself to know like, this is just resistance. When I do this, I'm going to feel better. And then it's what I call mental override. You just say my hand, here it is. It's going to go and it's going to go to that nozzle and it's going to turn it. And there's just no other, there's just no other choice about it. Like this is what is going to happen. And, and in your head, you're going to be like, no, 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 don't do It'll it. Don't do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But you just do it anyways. Right. You, know? you just go through and do it anyways. And I think having some kind of, you know, manageable way to practice that, that aspect of commitment, that that aspect of mental override, I think one of the mistakes people make and why I wanted to condense the book into a single day is, they'll try some 40 day program. Maybe it's even the whole 30, whole 30 is a great idea, but you know how many people quit by like day six, right. you know, and then pattern in their head is this idea of I'm a failure. I can't commit to anything. And so when they get out of that commitment, it makes it easier for them to get out of the next commitment and they trust themselves less. So the important thing that you got to really focus on is just making a commitment and actually doing it. You know, if you're like, Make it small. Be like today. I'm going to do a hundred push-ups throughout the day. I don't care how many times. I'm just going to do it just for today. And instead of doing like this hundred push-ups a day challenge for forty days, which you might not do, just do it one day. Or maybe it's you know today. I'm going to take a cold shower. I'm going to do it today. You know. And so it's something that's really manageable. Then you build up wins, and then you can stretch it out to a longer period of time. But I think that's an important way to kind of. The only way to defeat resistance is to actually defeat it. You know, you have to you have to really actually just go through it. You have to understand why you're doing it. Um, that's a big important big part of it too. Like, why am I doing this? Anchor to the why. I think there's a famous quote for uh, for the one who knows their why, they can bear almost any how. So right. whatever you have to do to get your why achieved, you, you're willing to do. So anchor to your why, and uh, and just do it.
0: You talk a lot about, um, well, you talk some, somewhat about fear, but also a lot about stress. Um, I think both are a big issue right now with the COVID-19 thing we had talked about earlier, which <laughs> speaking about failures, I, I was like, oh fuck, I, I pushed record, but it wasn't recording. Um, <laughs> but we got through it. Stress is a big issue right now. I think people are afraid. So when, I think when people are home, you know, home, they're afraid, afraid. they're stressed. Um, how are some of the ways that you're that you manage fear and you manage stress when you run into some of these things?
1: Well, I think it's, I mean, I've felt stress and fear long before there was COVID, you know, and I think the part of my life has been going at those things and trying to mitigate those things and trying to figure out how to work with those things. Um, So when a situation like this arises, I'm ready to step forward as a leader and, you know, show that I'm not afraid and show that it's not something that's stressing me out. You know, that even if food supplies did run out, I've gone on long fasts before. You know, if I can't eat for a week, fine. I've done that before. Like, that's not, it's not, not gonna stress me out. I'm not gonna freak out. You know, like if whatever, whatever goes on, you know, I just have, I have faith in myself because I've put myself through those adverse conditions and challenges whether it's you know, my six days in the darkness or whether it's, um, whether it's one of my you know, plant medicine retreats or whether it's a hard workout or whether it's climbing that mountain in Poland with my shirt off with Wim Hof or whether it's a sweat lodge or whatever. I, you know, I, I constantly put myself in adverse conditions so that I can learn how to respond to adverse conditions. And, um, and I, so I use those tools and just use that kind of experience to help me through and, and I would just encourage people to build experience and use this experience as an opportunity for you to you know give yourself the impetus to manage stress so try a breath work practice you know look at some of Wim Hof's breathing techniques and um, you know I'll, I'm looking to do a, a IG live with Wim Hof here soon I don't know what time this podcast will release but um, but he's offering a lot of a lot of people are offering things live from meditations to, to breath work a lot of different practices that you can engage in um, right now for yoga classes there's tons of things available as the world's kind of pulling together so i would just encourage people to uh to try all those means and methods
0: you know we um we do a lot of ocean cold ocean water swimming here um and i've learned about wim Hof through a friend of mine who swims in like you know frigid like he swims in st petersburg in the winter time and stuff um you did a you just went with Wim Hof to uh, to Poland and climbed a mountain in the snow. Effectively, is that right? Mm-hmm. And then, you, did you go into the ice bath with him? Oh yeah,
1: ten minutes in the uh, ten minutes in the ice bath, frozen, uh, and had to break the ice on the top. And then I did a couple minutes submerged completely, and uh, did the full did the full Wim Hof protocol.
0: How does the breathing? How does the breathing work can you just walk us through us a little bit because i think i think people should watch you live with wim hof we'll get this podcast out fairly soon um tell us a little bit about it help us understand why we should do it particularly with regard to stress as well as cold and other areas
1: yeah i mean the the breathing is interesting what you're really doing is you're hyper in the body and that's what's actually happening on a molecular level it increases alkalinity and Wim Hof has shown in laboratories, too, that it increases immune function when you hold your breath uh, at one of these breath holds at the top of your breath. And he's shown the ability to cancel the body's immune response to, uh, to bacteria like E. coli. And there's a lot of clinical research on what his technique has allowed him to do. Um, but really what you're going to find is it just starts to melt away a lot of these emotions that might have been stored up. Uh, When I'm in one of these deep breathing practices, often I'll find myself crying or I'll find myself, I'll find some pocket of anger that I have that I haven't expressed or frustration or it just helps me work with the energies that are, that are inside and internal.
0: Yeah. I I did it this morning. I've done it a few times, but I'm trying to actually apply these practices more consistently. I noticed I felt a little lightheaded um, and I felt almost a little bit high when I did it. Is that a normal response to the breathing exercises? Mm -hmm.
1: If you felt a little lightheaded and a little high, go farther. Okay. Do more. You
0: can't, over, you can't
1: overdose on breath.
0: You can't, over, you can't OD on oxygen? You can't OD
1: on oxygen. Not, not, well, you probably could from oxygen from a tank, but you certainly can't, you can't OD on oxygen from regular air. So keep going, yeah. If you feel the tingles and you feel your hands start to clench and you feel your, the buzz in your face and you feel all that, that's, that's part of it. It's part of the magic of it. And then what, what Wim recommends is you take a breath, you breathe all the way in and then you breathe out, not all the way, but to about neutral. And then you hold your breath there and that'll start to calm things down. If you want to heighten things, then, then you hold your breath at the peak. So you breathe all the way in and hold there and you hold for as long as you can. So both ways both have different benefits one kind of calms things down one kind of ramps things up
0: What should we know about how this so there's there's breathing that can help immunity right now I think a lot of people are really focused on immunity. Um, you've got some great immune boosting um, supplements From on it. What are the things people can be doing to boost boost their immunity? And Why does that matter so much with this, you know with this pandemic?
1: Well, I mean, I think really there's, um, if you really look at the statistics, there's a lot of people that have mild responses to coronavirus. And it's not that they don't get affected, but they have mild responses. Why? Well, it's not any genetic predisposition that we've found. You know, really what makes the most sense is this is a product of the immune system, immune system, which constantly fights off cancer cells, it constantly fights off viruses, all pathogens, all all infectious agents. So our immune system is our first line of defense. And it's not a guarantee. You know, I mean, you could have a particular susceptibility or you could have something else. But what we're finding, if you look at the research, is that the people who are affected most have compromised immune systems or are of um, a very advanced age. And then there's some exceptions to that, and of course there's some younger people who've had some real challenges with this as well, uh, but nonetheless the immune system is absolutely that first line of defense and so doing our best to boost it it may not help us, it may not prevent us from catching it, but it may put us in that 40 percent with mild to no symptoms or that eighty percent with moderate symptoms or you know at least that you know remaining 90% 15.5 percent, or whatever the final numbers are coming out, that actually survived this. So, you know, that's I think has a big part to do with the immune system just being ready and available um, to meet any threat. You know, so it's not something that I think we should focus on right now, just because of this. It's something that's a it's a practice. You know, we want to be able to support the body's innate ability to combat any type of uh, challenge that it might face.
0: Well, because there's a whole connection between immune response and some of these um, pro-inflammatory cytokines that are maybe part of the problem too, right? Where mm-hmm.
1: yeah, the the cytokine storm, as they say, yeah.
0: Yeah. Are there is If you think about the inflammation management that you're working through, both ment, you know, mentally, physically, breathing, meditation, the way you're doing fitness, and the supplementation, that combination. Um, I mean, obviously you're not, we're not selling drugs here. We're not going to cure a disease, but uh, do you think this combination can make a big difference in how people get through this, this pandemic?
1: I do. I mean, I do. Obviously like the, the gold standard to measure this would be to have a, you know, have a double blind research trial where you take some people who have, you know, strong immune markers and low inflammation markers and whatever else you wanted to test and then you tested it on other people and then you saw the results and the differences in those people i mean without that we don't know for sure but you know i think i'm it's it, i'm very confident personally that the stronger your immune system is the better your chances of fighting and surviving anything the more robust your body is the more it's going to be able to withstand any threat and that's true for influenza or pneumonia or you know, whatever it, whatever that thing is that you're facing, uh, the stronger your immune system, the better equipped you're going to be to handle it.
0: Do you think there's a benefit to fasting during? I mean, a lot of people think about fasting and weight loss, which is one of the benefits. But there's a lot of health benefits to fasting. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think uh, this is a good time to add fasting to a regimen as well?
1: I do. I think that um, I think you want to fast just enough to get yourself into, into nutritional ketosis. Um, and there's amazing research on the benefits of ketosis for a variety of different immune responses, including, um, as an adjunct to cancer treatment, you know, uh, Travis Christofferson talks about that a lot in his latest book, but you're really actually at that point, providing your body with more cellular energy and what's required to fight off any kind of disease condition is energy. You know, we, we need energy. And to get yourself into ketosis is going to help support the body with that level of energy. I know that every time I get a cold, I fast and I get over colds. If, let's say me and uh, someone I'm dating, we both get the same cold, you know, and they're eating ice cream and popsicles and just having the comfortable foods that, you know, that they want to have. And I'm, yeah, and I'm just having a half an avocado and maybe a little bone broth and, fasting and you know sucking on my zinc tablets and taking my supplements i'm going to get over my cold you know twice as fast as as they will and it's you know so i i know that this is something that i've personally anecdotally seen to be effective and i think the research is pointing to that same thing and so to do that you probably need to fast with very low calorie like a restricted ketogenic diet maybe just a few little things a handful of macadamia nuts uh, a little bit of extra salt in your water and do that for about two days. Um, and then after that, you can start adding in some more high fat food, but you should, that should be enough to get you into nutritional ketosis and then you can manage it and start to escalate the amount of food that you start to add in. Now, the thing to be mindful of is that if you have too, too much protein, um, and this is where a lot of people make a mistake with nutritional ketosis, too much protein through the process of gluconeogenesis will actually take you out of ketosis because the body will convert the protein into sugar. Um, so you wanna really keep that diet super high fat. And I think that's the best uh, immune system boosting diet uh, that's out there.
0: And what are the fats that you're typically picking up in? in- that's the
1: problem. That's the problem with ketosis to be honest, it's boring. It's really boring, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because here's what you got. You got, I mean, and I know there's more the more things in this, but you got avocados, you got heavy cream and certain cheese and butter, you know, so you got like the dairy fats or ghee. Ghee is yeah. probably the highest fat of all of that. Um, you got coconut butter and coconut oil. You've got macadamia nuts and the fats that come from nuts um, and really like you start running low after that. I mean, you got olive oil. What are you going to do with that? You got, you know, it's, it's like you start really, you start really running out of stuff to, to eat. Um, so that's one of the challenges with it. It gets really boring. Um, and, uh, but if you can get over the boredom factor, um, by having, you know, different flavors and nuts and different, different ways, different ways that you're putting your, you know, olive oil and vinegar on your, different salads and vegetables that you're having because you can still obviously consume quite a bit of fiber on that diet uh, because fiber is largely indigestible so it just kind of helps pass through the system so you can keep that nice and high Um, you know keep your protein moderate but you can explore and have some fun with that you know um, as well but the majority of the staple of the diet is boring you know but fortunately there's a lot of really good keto snacks out where they use um, a lot of different uh different cool ingredients so uh, my my pantry is full of
0: good snacks i'm sure and you you have quite a you have some great ideas on how to make some recipes in on the day Mm -hmm. um then you also offer some great keto snacks via hana is that that's right
1: yeah i mean we have something called fat butters which is a blend of like coconut oil and uh, nut butters and different things all together in a blend um you know our proteins are they don't have the high fat, but they have no sugar in them. Uh, we try to keep sugar really low on all of our products that we have. And then we have our exogenous ketones, which is another great thing to take a look at, which is basically supplying ketones into the body through, um, nutritional supplementation. And that's something that I play with as well, just to make sure I'm maximizing my ketone levels and energy levels. And so we have a product called total keto daily, um, yeah, so we have a couple of good things uh, through the Onnit through the Onnit channel, and there's another great company. It's called High Key. Um, I've been eating their snickerdoodle cookies like it's going out of style. So there's, I mean, it's not the only one in this game for sure. There's a lot of great companies doing a lot of great things.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 amazing. Um, let's shift gears a little bit if you don't mind. Um, this is all really helpful, and uh, you know, I I think a lot of what your life story is about, isn't just about nutrition and, and physical fitness, but it's also about some of the places you've taken your mind. Um, you just did a whole darkness journey. And, and when you talk about these, I think this is kind of interesting. You, you use the term medicine a lot, right? Uh, whether it's the, um, uh, whether it's some of the psychedelics ayahuasca. on yep. ayahuasca or uh, psilocybin or, or um, darkness, can you can you explain the use how you use the term medicine when you explain when you talk about those and some of the ways that you've kind of pioneered these psychonautic journeys you've been on?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's expanding the definition of medicine to curing things that are not necessarily a medical condition, you know, but like if I'm curing my anger towards my father, right? Well, that probably is the root cause of a lot of things. It's a root cause of some stress. It's a root cause of some maybe addictive patterns, some anger that I have myself. So if I can get myself to a place of forgiveness, well, that's medicine. And that's why I call these things medicine because a lot of these journeys allow you to get to a place where you can release grievances, where you can reach a state of kind of love and equanimity, which then has a downstream effect universally across your system holistically. And so that's why I refer to them as medicines. Now, obviously, you know, there's different ways that you can use the same thing as a medicine or not. I mean, I could take mushrooms and watch cartoons or go to a concert, and it wouldn't necessarily be medicine, but I could do it out in nature and in contemplation and or with a blindfold on and some music, and it certainly, you know, will be medicine. So it just depends, you know, and, um, but I, you know, I tend to have the reverence for these different compounds uh so that i used them as medicine in that kind of sacred ceremonial context
0: what's been the most um i don't know if productive's the right word but what's been the most kind of uh helpful or or effective medicine that you've used i guess the, you talk about the darkness being one of the strongest things you've done lately yeah uh, that was
1: probably the most powerful journey <laughs> one the longest landing effect, longest lasting effects.
0: Can, can, can you just give us a summary? And this is something that Tim Staples said to me, you know, we, he was thinking about going and doing this in May or June and uh, he sort of invited me along and, and I kind of didn't want to accept the invitation because I listened to your podcast about it. But then I also realized that's probably the reason I should go do it. Um, what was your approach to it? How'd you find out about it? And, you know, what kind of experience? You know,
1: I had a I had a buddy who wrote about it in his book. His name's Aaron Alexander, and he wrote about it in his book, um, the Align Method. And then I had a podcast guest within the same week who came on my show, and he did it. And his name was Akshay Nanavati. He wrote a book called Firvana, and he did it. And it was just this thing where I heard about it twice, and I was curious the first time, and the second time I was like, okay, I need to do this. I'm called to do this, and So yeah, I went and I spent six days in absolute darkness, absolute silence, absolute isolation, and uh, in a room that had a little bathroom and a little bed. And um, it was was quite incredible. I mean, for the first few days, you're just kind of grappling with your mind. And, you know, it's mind versus mind at that point. Um, You know, it's like mind yoga, and it's really brutal. And then about day four, um, vision started to come. And this is a, a absolutely common experience where you'll start to experience kind of flashing lights in your eyes and this kind of visual opening uh that occurs and they say it's an endogenous production of dmt that hasn't been scientifically proven largely because you would need to do a vivisection of the brain um to in in while someone was in that state in order to prove that that was uh that was actually happening and nobody's signing up for that to be you know, in a DMT-induced state to get their head cut open, Um, unless someone really wants to be a hero for science. Uh, But nonetheless, I've done enough DMT journeys that I understood that this was indeed uh, endogenous DMT just because of the visions that were available to me. And so for the next three days, I was in a constant visionary state.
0: And so you're, is, is it kind of like being on the astral plane? Like, are you seeing everything in fractals or what's the, uh, what's, what's a lot of fractals, a lot
1: of fractals. And sometimes things appear to you in very kind of lifelike, um, 3d form, you know, like I saw an image of Buddha who came to me in a very 3d form. I saw my father reading a book. I saw, I saw a variety of different people's faces and different things that would kind of come and appear to me in very lifelike manner. And then everything else is in this kind of floating fractal um untranslated visual language
0: wow did um did you was when you're in total darkness does being awake and being asleep blend together or is it be or is it pretty distinct when you're when you're Uh, that's
1: pretty distinct i mean you know when you're awake you know when you're asleep but you don't know when you're going to bed necessarily so you just (laughs) you sleep when you can sleep and you're awake when you're awake
0: wow was it uh when you came out of it, you had a pretty strong emotional re- response. Um, what was the, what was, what, what sort of kicked that off or what was the response about? What, what was the reaction? Well, it, was, it was
1: looking out at the world that I'd taken for granted and recognizing that um, both appreciating the beauty of it, which was overwhelming, but also dealing with the grief of understanding that I'd spent most of my life not appreciating it. And, you know, so it's the combination of both sides of that one that I've had this amazing world this whole time and I haven't appreciated it. And two, I have this amazing world right now and it's so beautiful that I can hardly even stand it.
0: Wow. So it's something that uh, it sounds like it was really powerful, wonderful experience in a lot of ways. Is it something that you would do again?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's no question.
0: Interesting. Yeah. That, Cause I think the first question is, you know, are you happy you did it? The second is, are you ready to go back?
1: Am I ready to go back? No, but <laughs> I, am I going to go back?
0: Hell yeah. Awesome. one of those, you have to force yourself to do it, but uh, you'll thank yourself at the end. Mental override.
1: Yeah. Amazing. It's not fun. Like don't get it yeah. twisted. Like this isn't fun, no, I but guess. the benefit, the benefit is, the benefit is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Let's jump to sex for a minute. Um, and I just
1: have to let you know I do have a I have to get off in six minutes because I uh, have another call, so I figured we'd be done by then.
0: Okay, sorry about that. Um, no problem. Last question, then, and I would like to kind of wrap it up on this. I would like to ask people their view of kind of the power of the universe. Um, you know, God. Well, or- well,
1: you, you gave people a, you gave people a little teaser about sex. We got to go there first, okay, let's and let's then let's we'll get a power of yeah. the universe. Oh, we exactly. got two questions. Two okay. questions
0: left. Tell us about sex. Tell us what's, what's God or what's the power in the universe that's, you know, that's driving things? Is there something like that?
1: Yeah. So I think sexuality is an interesting thing because it can be expressed in a variety of different ways. It can be the actualization of a very carnal desire and it can be very physical and it can be very pleasure oriented and it can be, you know, also something that you're using as a tool for validation. It can be, you can have a lot of things wrapped up into it. Uh, or it can be a way to form, you know, genuine union, which is like a physical expression of something deeper than just the body, you know, the merger of two, you know, two souls really coming together, expressing themselves through, you know, the incarnate beings that they are. Um, and I've definitely experienced a little bit more of the former, you know, seeking validation and enjoying the pleasure and, and the excitement of the sexuality. But I think as I look towards the future of my life, I look towards more of that kind of sacred union and what the tantric masters have been talking about for a long time, like the mer- a true merger uh, through sexual expression is uh, more and more exciting to me as I advance advanced in my in my own journey.
0: Yeah, you had a pretty um, rocky polyamorous relationship.
1: No that, doubt. You know,
0: that you learned no a lot it sounds like. Do you- yeah. I mean, just to ask one question there, do you, um, so Is what's the role of relationship in sex?
1: Well, I mean, I think, uh, I think we have a lot of different ideas about that. I mean, I think we're in this, you know, kind of uh, universally adopted monogamous paradigm with a few outliers of people who are open to sexual experiences outside of, uh, you know, uh, dyad container of just two people. And um, that's just an idea. You know, it's just an idea. If you look at the anthropological history of humanity, it's not exactly the way that it's been. But it's an idea that's persisted for a while. And it's an idea that works for some people. But I think we got to look at it as such, like, it's just an idea. Do you like this idea? Or do you want a different idea? Well if you choose a different idea like me I mean there's other there's a hell of a lot of challenges because you're going up against a lot of social programming and a lot of different innate biological factors of you know jealousy and competition and a lot of things that we've learned um, which may be a great way to learn it was, certainly was for me um, but you know not something that I'm eager to repeat <laughs> you know it's like I learned the lessons and I'm sure I could manage it a lot better now than the first time I had to go through it but uh, nonetheless, um, the, my views on polyamory, it's, you know, it's something that everybody should try that ultimately isn't something that's going to be sustainable because just the pressures and the challenges are are endless and, and seemingly virtually insurmountable um, just, just because of the nature of it. I've seen very few. I have seen some, but I've seen very few cases where it's really yielded, you know, the kind and a result that people are looking for, but it's always yielded kind of growth, introspection, awareness, and it's one of the, you know, in some ways it's just one of those challenging medicines that has both the excitement and the thrill and the freedom of being able to meet and experience other people, but also the deep challenge of having your sweetheart or the one you love the most, um, also experiencing those things and, and, how, and what that brings up. So it's, uh, it's quite a
0: dance. Well, it was fascinating to listen to you go through it. I mean, it didn't sound very easy, but it was uh, it just answer a lot of interesting questions that I certainly had. So let's mm-hmm. jump to the last one here. Nature of, and I'm just, I'll use, you know, I'm sorry if the terms are loaded, um, you know, deconstruct them however you want, but soul, universe, the power in the universe, moving in a direction, possibly. What's mm-hmm. the, what, what do you, what's your view on kind of God or the body of the universe?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, really, when I was in the darkness, I came up with my understanding of God is um, is the loving, a perspectival witness of all, right? So it's it's the force that's everywhere and nowhere. It's in all of us and outside of all of us as well. It's everywhere and in everything. And it's the thing that witnesses witnesses in a loving way, everything as it happens. And that's why I think people misconstrue god they anthropomorphize and say oh why did god do this why did god make covid why did god do this why did god did well god's just there as a loving witness with this ultimate faith in time and in the infinite amount of incarnations and the infinite amount of ways that you know and giving humans and all of the other you know sentient beings the opportunity for free will because that's what makes the game exciting with this just kind of loving container of like, sure, you wanna do that? Go for it. Oh, you wanna blow up your world? Okay, go for it. you'll learn from that. And then when you have another world at another time, maybe you won't blow it up. <laughs> you know, like, I think it's just this, it's this kind of loving a perspectival witness where God is just there to kind of witness and support, um, but also allow us the freedom to express ourselves how we wanna express ourselves.
0: So maybe on the final one last last question here, um, despite how awful COVID-19 is and and all the problems that are coming out of it, do you think maybe part of the benefit, in in kind of the context of this view of of power of the universe, this um, this God concept, that maybe there's um, maybe one of the great goods is that we're a lot of us are discovering that this thin veneer of civilization is just a veneer and that there's a lot more important things we should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: we're starting to see, you know, we're starting to see the human behind all of the different labels. You know, I mean, um, I think I just saw something from a beautiful video from Prince EA, who's one of the great poets, and he was talking about how, how, I think Japan was sending China supplies. uh, And there was a poem on the boxes that was written and it said, we're all waves of the same ocean. And if you know the history of China and Japan, they don't particularly like each other from a historical standpoint. You know, I mean, they've been in wars after wars. And, and I think we're starting to see that across the board. We're starting to see like building owners and tenants instead of being this adversarial relationship looking at each other like, actually we, we all need each other. And I think the beauty of this universal existential threat is just this understanding that, yeah, we're all, we're all team people and we all need each other. And uh, hopefully that's something that we remember.
0: That's, uh, no, I think that's really helpful. I, I travel around the world working with a lot of people, a lot of different languages, a lot of different faith traditions. And uh, the one thing that's come away from all of it for me is that we're all made out of people at the end of it. And uh, I think that's incredibly helpful. Thank you for your time today. I know you have other things you have to do. I appreciate you giving an hour and a half of your time to this podcast and to me in particular.
1: Of course, uh, brother. Yeah, it was good to talk to you. Look forward I to more.
0: See you better. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no appreciate. doubt. Take care,
1: David.